0: Orthodox Jews have built families, culture, and religion with the law of Moses at the center and obedience to those laws as the means of salvation. Was this the historical Moses' purpose? He fathered the nation of Israel, but how did he do in his own house? Our study leader Dave Wardson concludes our study on passing the torch with a look into the life of this Old Testament patriarch. We're trying to produce some really spiritual fathers, and I think of an 11-year-old boy who was playing with some marbles out in front of a church, shooting marbles like they did, and he was known as the troublemaker in the community. In fact, his mom had died when he was born, and his father, in some ways, because this little baby was the cause from his dad's perspective in some ways of his mom's death, this boy raised was raised with an incredible hole in his soul. Can you imagine being raised as a kid thinking that I might have been the cause of my own mom's death? And so this boy was raised by a very strong, rigid, military kind of a dad. His dad was in the military, and he taught him obedience. And one of the things you can do... As a father, we all would say, man, someone needs to crack the whip here. Somebody needs to really get obedience. Anybody ever heard that? Man, if dad doesn't produce obedience. And I want to encourage you that Scripture does teach children, obey your parents in the Lord. But some of you this morning, as you try to pass on the faith in the next generation, that's what it is. It's like military, legal obedience. That's what religious obedience is. In fact, Moses is the founder of Judaism in a lot of ways. In the first century, the religious branch of Judaism that didn't choose to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, 7 A.D. happened, the temple came crashing down, they moved to Yavne, the Pharisees that were left, and they were the Ravs, the masters, the teachers, and what they did is, how in the world can we have Judaism without a temple and without sacrifice? And they realized that there were synagogues all over the Roman Empire at the time. Jews were gathering regularly on Friday evening all the way till Saturday evening, and they were celebrating the Sabbath. And what they did is they said, we're going to take the law of Moses, and we're going to make it the way of salvation. In other words, we're going to take circumcision, for example, and we're going to make that the sign That is a religious sign, not just a sign of our belief in the promise. It's going to be a religious sign. We're going to take the food laws like don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. We're going to develop kosher laws that develop over the centuries. We're going to keep the three major religious holidays. We're going to have Yom Kippur in the fall. And so you can actually trace what's Orthodox Judaism right back to after 70 AD, and obviously there's been all kinds of fracturing and all different kinds of Jews, but in essence, if you're an orthodox Jew, you need to be obedient to the law of Moses. And that's the way some of you dads, some of you grandfathers are trying to pass on the faith. It's about obedience to the law. And what I want to challenge us to do is we want to take a real look at what about the biblical, historical Moses. Did Moses really intend us as dads to create a legal system that was all built on religion, that was built on just obeying external commands? Did he mean for even the Ten Commandments to be a way of salvation? What did the real Moses, as a father himself, what does he teach us in God's holy word? And In order to find out about this, let's look back at Exodus, the book of Exodus. We have Moses, you might not even realize. Anybody know the name of Moses' two sons? Did you know that Moses had two sons? You see, Moses went to the defense of one of his Israelites. Remember that story when, as a powerful Egyptian prince, he went out one day, chose to identify with his people, and he saw one of the Egyptian taskmasters that was beating up and was going to murder one of his fellow Israelites. Moses went to his defense, contrary to what you've been taught that wasn't an evil action. It wasn't presumptuous. If you were the Hebrew guy that was about ready to get murdered, for example, if I am in some bad place and I'm getting beat up and Zach comes along and sees me getting beat up and he comes to my rescue and takes the life of the guy that's trying to kill Dave, I'm going to love Zach. The rest. I love him already, but I'm going to really love him. And I'm not going to tell everybody he was a bad guy. He shouldn't have done that. Understand that? When you come to defense of someone that's about to be killed, that's not an evil action. So be careful about that. That's not what the command means. So Moses isn't a bad guy. In fact, he tried to become a deliverer for his people when he was 40, but they all turned against him. Remember that he has to flee from Egypt, and so he ends up in the wilderness. He goes to a far country, down into Midian, down to that V-shape in the Sinai Peninsula, And notice what it says in Exodus chapter 2. It says in chapter 2, verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with the man. We have another well-seen Moses waters the flocks of Jethro when some shepherds tried to push the girls away. So Moses comes to the rescue. Another story like when Jacob did that for Rachel when he was fleeing. So Moses is now doing the same thing. It says, Moses agreed to stay with the man. That's Jethro. And then quickly tells us that who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. So Moses married a Midianite, and she was a Cushite, we learn later on in this story. And that's going to produce ethnic uh, conflict in this family. Aaron and Miriam are actually going to rebel against Moses because they don't like his wife Zipporah because she was another race. She was a Midianite and probably had darker skin. So you see that those racial divisions come very early. And God gives Miriam leprosy. But that's another story They just introduced here. Zipporah was a Midianite. She was married. And Zipporah gave birth to a son. And his name was Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. So here we have this incredible birth of Moses' first son, we call him the son in a foreign land. That's what it means, born in a foreign place, or a, a foreign place. Gershom, Gersh sounds like foreign, Sham in Hebrew means place. So every time they heard Gershom's name, they think of Moses had a flea, he's now living in a foreign place. Life goes on, you all know the burning bush story? where God actually appears to Moses, and Moses hears the great I am, and Moses is commissioned to go down to Egypt to deliver his people. Now we have the second introduction, the second time in Scripture that we have him talk about his kids. Look at chapter 4, verse 24, where we have one of the strangest portions of Scripture. Notice, as Moses is heading down, this is after he saw the Lord in the burning bush, he's headed down to Egypt, And now we have a powerful dark story. It says, at a lodging place. I have to stop. It's a long way from Midian down to Egypt. It says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses, chapter 4, verse 24, and was about to kill him. What in the world is going on here? But Zipporah took a flint knife, a stone knife. She cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So the Lord let him alone, and at that time she said, Bridegroom of blood, referring to the circumcision. What in the world is going on in that story? Just a little paragraph. It introduces something that's really powerful. What I've noticed is I, as Don and I have been working on the sons of powerful Christian leaders, it's really powerful that you can be challenging thousands of people to come to Jesus. You can be challenging tons of people to respond to Jesus, and yet in your own household, you're not really talking to them about their own personal faith. And what's amazing is kind of like an electrician, like a lot of electricians I've known through the years, they wire everyone else's houses But when you go to their house, like Wally McWhorter, one of my dear friends for years and years, is a master electrician. He became an electrical engineer. But the first time I met Wallace and Elaine, when I went to their house, he had to reach up and screw the electric bulb into the ceiling because the switches didn't work. It's a very common thing. Lawyers, lawyers that tell everyone else to get a will, when they die, they don't have a will. Anybody ever heard of that? Or I have financial planners that tell everyone else how to plan their finances, and yet when they have retirement age, they don't have enough money. The same thing is true spiritually. Moses is about ready to deliver 2 million people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. In Genesis chapter 17, the Lord came to Abraham and said, Abraham, the sign of the covenant. The sign that's going to be the mark that you really believe in the promised seed that's going to come. That you're going to set apart a people that will be committed to me. That you're going to build your life on the promise. That you're actually going to be the set apart people that will reach the nations. The sign of the promise of the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. The promise of the fulfillment of the promise to Noah. The promise of Abraham that through you, all the nature of the earth will be blessed. Circumcision is the sign. And so in Genesis 17, Abraham is circumcised. Ishmael, his son, is circumcised. And all the children of Abraham, all the children of Isaac, all the children of Jacob, all of the men are circumcised on the eighth day. Guess who didn't do it? Moses. What I want you to understand... God takes his commands of the sign of the promise very seriously. You say, Dave, why did God almost kill Moses? Because circumcision is very important to God, not as an external rite, but in the Old Testament, it was the act of obedience that said, through the male line of the Jews, we're going to ultimately produce the Messiah. And if Moses doesn't take that seriously, who else will? Did you think about circumcision, it was the idea, it put an emphasis in Israel on the importance of the seed. So sexuality for a Jewish person couldn't be considered lightly. We need to recapture that. As dads and grandfathers, I appeal to you, you've got to raise your boy from the time that they're small, that their seed is not unimportant. That their seed, when it's united with a precious woman that God gives to them, it can produce kids which pass on this incredible joy of family. Anybody think that's important? And that's really being destroyed. The Jews, as a people, one of the things we can learn from them is the Orthodox Jews are still with us. And one of the things they teach us is the bonding of family. And this idea of circumcision meant that boys understood that having a family that follows the tradition is really important. But I want to understand that the original Moses wants us to understand that it's far more than just an external religious obedience. Because Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 4 says, I want you to be circumcised in your heart. When you read Romans chapter 2, Paul will say this, circumcision Or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. What's really important is you need to be circumcised in your heart. So the very first thing we learn from this story is our Heavenly Father is not someone to be trifled with. We need to reverence Him. That our life and our death is in His hands. And this is a God that you don't hear a lot about today. We make God into a very nice Santa Claus kind of a figure. The God of the Bible is the God that wrestles at night with Jacob and almost kills him. The God of the Bible is the God that hears his great deliverer Moses and God meets him at night and he almost killed him because Moses didn't take seriously the importance of circumcision in his family. And his wife had to take the leadership. His wife had to grab the flint knife and quickly circumcise Gershom so that Moses doesn't die. That's happening in our church family. There's a lot of husbands like Moses. They're passive. This is another example. Remember how Adam was passive in the Genesis chapter 3? Remember how Abraham was passive when Sarah had the idea, let's, let's use Hagar. These are the same stories. Now we have the wife of Moses. What does she have to do? She has to do what some of you wives have had to do. Your husband's just sitting there. He doesn't do the spiritual things. He doesn't challenge the family about making sure that they know Christ as their Savior. All of you dads in this room, you need to take this really seriously. The Lord has given you the responsibility, not your wife. He's given you the responsibility to give your testimony. He's given you the responsibility to challenge your kids about knowing the Lord Jesus. This is really important. And we've got a great and awesome God. We're not following some effeminate Renaissance-looking guy like a lot of the pictures of Jesus. We're following the ultimate King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we need to be communicating to our kids that dad and grandpa really take this seriously. Because we're losing our kids, especially our boys, because dads don't take the lead. And way back in the story of Moses, this is serious stuff. Moses had been commissioned by God, like I told you, he's going to set the people free, but he had not circumcised his own son. Have you taken it upon your heart as a dad? I want to make sure that I do everything I can to make sure that my kids have a time when their heart gets circumcised. See, it's not the physical act of circumcision under the new covenant that's important. But you want to be at yourself, am I doing everything I can as a dad and as a grandpa to make sure that my children understand what it means to have a circumcised heart? What that means is that you're sharing with the kids that from the time that they're small how you received Jesus in your heart. You're talking to them about the working of the Spirit in your heart. You're talking about how you came to faith. You're talking about how you wrestle with your commitment with the Lord and how you keep growing by the power of the Spirit. Dad needs to live those things. When you go on hunting trips, when you go on fishing trips, after you're coming back from Little League games, Dad is talking about those things. I want to really challenge you men. One of the things I found out that there's Christian leaders that can be telling millions of people that you must be born again, but they don't really connect with their own sons. And they have uncircumcised sons spiritually. Now, everyone had to decide for themselves, but we need to be sure his dad, like this is really convicting me, Dave, do you teach everyone else? But you're not really that concerned about your own flesh and blood to make sure that they're circumcised. So a failure to circumcise his own kid, and that comes across to us, have we had a failure to really pass on to the next generation what it means to have a circumcised heart? Now, you can't circumcise your kids Spiritually, you can physically. Under the new covenant, that's not really that important. But every kid has to decide for themselves. But you as a dad and as a grandfather can take the lead and not make your wife take out the flint knife and circumcise your kids. She doesn't need to be the one that takes the initiative about going to church. She doesn't need to be the one that takes the initiative. Now, if you're in a family where dad isn't involved and there's no other male figure, then, man, you ladies need to go for it but I want to challenge the men that are here today because we lose our kids at 13. If dad isn't taking the lead spiritual, then all 13-year-olds say, both men and women, the teenager just say, dad doesn't think it's important. I don't either. It really works that way. So that's why this is really important. Moses could lead millions like a lot of you guys can lead at work and lead everyone else. You just don't lead in your family especially spiritually. The second thing I want you to know, and this is really a powerful one. You say, Dave, what's the most powerful thing that you learned about fathers and sons? And I would say it's this. As a dad, I need to be sure that I personally connect with Mary first and with my kids. Now, what do I mean by that? Mary needs to know that she's inside of me. She's inside my thoughts. She's inside my feelings. She's inside my decision-making. I need to be connected with her. Everybody understand that? It's what real deep companionship is about. And your kids need that same connection. And some of us this morning, we are so embroiled in our job that we don't have time. The biggest plague in the American culture today is we work, 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 work. And we don't have any time for relational connectedness. And when they're little bitty guys, your sons and daughters, man, they really want to spend time with you. If you're working on your car when they're little bitty guys, they want to spend time with you. But when you're stressed and when you're focused at work, when you're not present, you keep pushing them away. So, I want to ask all of you guys today are you connected with your kids today? What are you talking about? Well, after this incident in the night where Moses almost lost his life, he decided, man, maybe going down to Egypt isn't such a good idea with my family and my kids. So, he sends his wife and kids, which isn't such a bad thing. This is like a military expedition. There's going to be the 10 plagues and then the deliverance to the Red Sea. But Moses sends Zipporah and his boys back to their father. Okay? After they're delivered from Egypt, after they come to the Red Sea, as they start to move through Sinai, we pick up the story again. If you look at Exodus chapter 18, we have another story. This is the second time we're introduced to Moses as kids, and it says as we begin chapter 18, now Jethro the priest of Midianite, the father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel. And how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. The sad thing is that Zipporah, Moses' wife, and his two boys didn't experience that. They didn't see God's first-hand work. They missed. Remember that big scene in the Ten Commandments when Carlton Heston raided up the playing Moses, and he raises up his rod, and the sea divides. Anybody ever seen that in the old thing? And I'm sure they're, they had that in the new Bible movie. That's one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament. But Moses's boys, especially his oldest son Gershom, wasn't there because he was with Moses' father-in-law. And Moses' wife wasn't there because Moses had sent them back, which is what a lot of Christian leaders do. You see, you're out there serving the Lord. Your kids, if they're not exposed to the firsthand work of the Lord, if they're not exposed to the miracles that God does in people's lives, if they're not seeing you actively involved, if they're somewhere else, or even worse, if you're so busy that you don't have any connection, then you're going to lose your kids. And that's what happened in this film. What's really interesting about this chapter is, like, when you read a story, it's not only important to read the story, it's important to read the blank. It starts out and says... That after Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. And one son's name was Gershom from Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Remember I told you Gershom means the foreign place. And he had another boy named Eliezer, which means my God is my help. Just like a woman, Eve, is to be an etzer, a helper. So Eliezer means my God is my help. And then he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses, and father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they greeted each other and then went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. What is missing in that account? For the rest of the chapter, like Moses hasn't been with Zipporah or with his boys. And it's very Near Eastern culture. I totally understand that. You focus on the men, like in this kind of a culture, the women are ignored. The children are ignored. But we're following a different Savior. This is God's inspired word. There's no mention of Zipporah and the boys the rest of the story. The rest of this chapter. And you know what the story's about? Moses is hearing everybody's case. And I've heard it once as Don and I worked and read the the stories of sons of famous prayerful leaders. One of them after another says, my dad didn't have time for us. He didn't personally connect with us. He was busy saving everyone else's soul. But he wasn't connecting with us. And so I've got a whole lot of kids that I was raised with that just totally went away from Jesus. And they don't want anything to do with our faith. Because to them, Jesus is my father's God, and I didn't have a dad. Because he was so busy with his ministry that he forgot that his wife and his kids is the first priority of ministry. And the great deliverer of Egypt, the great Moses, was not a good dad with Gershom and Eliates, And that's a powerful lesson. Where does that end up? What happened? Well, the last time we have, turn to the book of Judges. Most of you probably missed this. But if you turn to Judges chapter 18, verse 30, we have the last time that Moses' son, Gershom, is mentioned in the Bible. Judges chapter 18, verse 30. And this is a very convoluted story. but what happened to this story is the Danites, one of the tribes of Israel, are not able in the land. they're not able to conquer the Canaanites. So they decide that they're going to move to the north, and they get 600 mighty men and that are warriors. And they start moving north, and they come to the land of Ephraim, which is a little bit north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't an Israelite city at the time, but you'll have an idea. It's kind of like where Ramallah is today, that area a little bit north, up in Samaria, the territory of Ephraim. And these 600 Danites find that there's a man, Micah, who has a Levite in his house that has idols, He has several little idols, and he has a great big graven image. And he's the private Levitical priest from Micah. The Danites feel this is really a good idea. They steal the idols. They steal the images. And they say to the Levite, why do you want to be just a priest of one family? We'll make you rich. You can be the priest of our entire tribe, the Danite tribe. So they move north. They conquered a city named Laish, and then they renamed that city Don. And that's the major city way up in the northern part of Israel. Now, who was that Levite that was the private priest with these idolatrous images? Remember what was the second command that the Lord gave to Moses? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart. Thou shalt have no, everybody tell me, Tell me real loud. Thou shalt not have no no idols, no graven images. Now look at this, chapter 18, verse 30. Then there were Danites set up for themselves the idols, and Jonathan the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the tribe of Dan until the time of the captivity of the land. They continued to use the idols of Micah had made until all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So what happened? Gershom had a son, and it might not be Jonathan, like in Hebrew the word for grandson, it can be more distant, but it's possible it's Moses' grandson, Jonathan. You know what Jonathan means? Gift of Yahweh. That's why we named our oldest son the gift of Yahweh. But in this case, he produces a boy. Gershom produces a son. Instead of the gift of Yahweh, he initiates an idolatrous worship That as you study the story of the Old Testament, it leads to the deportation and the captivity, and the northern tribes are taken away by the Assyrians. And this is the grandson of Moses. What does it teach us? Great Christian leaders, including us, can fail to be concerned about circumcising the hearts of our own kids. The second thing we learn is we can be reaching everyone else, but we can become so busy with our ministry that we don't have any connection time with our wife and with our kids. The third thing, what does it lead? God doesn't have any grandkids. And evangelicalism right now, we are losing, we are losing the next generation. Our kids, they're afraid to get married because they've seen, I don't want... I don't want all the divorce. Why even get married? And one of the major things is I have a lot of kids that I'm not sure they've really met Jesus. I'm not sure that they really have circumcised hearts. Because it's not just about maintaining our culture. It's about really being concerned and having a circumcised hearts ourselves that we are connecting personally with one another, and especially with our wife, with our kids, and we're really sharing about what the living I am is doing in our life, because we don't want to pass on just a lifeless, dead, idolatrous faith that's totally syncretized with what's supposed to be the true faith of God. Remember I told you about that boy with his marbles? there were some believers just like you. In fact, they were older believers. Some grandmothers and some grandfathers. They saw that little kid whose dad was a military guy, and he had felt estranged, and they grabbed a hold of him. They invited him to come to their church. They started teaching him in Sunday school. They wanted to throw him out of every Sunday school class he was in. He was so rebellious. He was so obnoxious. But these believers like yourself started connecting with him. They told him how he could have a new heart. They told him how Jesus could make his heart soft, that it wasn't just like rules, military commands, religious commands, like his dad had taught him. It wasn't just about obeying external sinners. They taught this little kid that it's a relationship, it's by grace. That little boy came to know Jesus as his savior. He went to Wheaton College, was going to go into medical school, but he didn't go into medical school because he was called to go to Dallas Theological Seminary. And that man is the man that taught me at Dallas Seminary that told me when I was just a little boy that I would be trained for the ministry. That little boy playing marbles was Prop Hendricks. And I just went to his funeral. And all four of his three living kids that are still alive stood up, and they all shared about their dad, And they shared some of the story about how he didn't have a dad that connected with him, and all of his life, he didn't feel he could be a good enough dad, because he never had a dad that showed him how to do it. So he was learning as he went, and Bill Hendricks, his youngest son, stood up and said, Dad worried all of his life, was he a good dad? Then I remember my dad sitting in a chair, he get really depressed, and Bill shared, and his Son, Bobby, shared how he thought a lot of that depression was, the weight, am I a good enough dad? And how do I connect with my kid? Prof really wrestled with how do you connect? When you've got a rigid, militaristic dad, it's really hard to know how to connect. But Billy shared, dad would come out of that chair Could he learned about an incredible Savior that could freely forgive. And he said, my dad would get depressed because he thought he wasn't a good enough dad. And Bill ended his eulogy for his dad. Said, My dad is up in heaven now. And I want my dad to know more than anything else. My dad was good enough. He really was my dad. He loved my mom. He loved me. Even when he didn't understand me. He remained true to the gospel. And my dad worried all of his life, would he be a good dad? And his precious kid said, dad was good enough. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we've done this series on born again dads, born again sons with a big question mark as we close this series with looking at the man Moses that could father a nation. But we've also learned that the real story of the Bible showed that he really struggled to have circumcised hearts in his own kids. That he was so busy shepherding a nation that he really struggled to shepherd his family. He was a strong, parable leader in public, But with Zipporah, Zipporah had to grab the knife and circumcise her own son. As a result, you tell the honest story that he didn't produce children. He did produce a Joshua that wasn't his kid that was able to lead the people, but his own son Gershom, and then Jonathan was an idolater, and they disappear out of the page of the scripture. I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to learn. I thank you for the honesty of your word, As we close, I pray that your spirit would really circumcise my heart again. I pray that you would convict me about being so involved in public ministry that I don't connect relationally and personally with those that are closest to me. And I ask Your Lord, that you would really protect my family. I pray that we'll produce not idolaters in the coming generation, but we'll produce men and women that will be in love with the savior that they'll believe that there's nothing but the blood of jesus that there's power in this incredible blood and that only jesus's blood not circumcision not the blood that comes from circumcision but the blood that comes from the, from the blood of calvary that alone can save us from our sins maybe some of you dads the lord's been speaking to you maybe some of you grandfathers lord has been speaking to you as we close this series on fathers maybe that i've been sharing with you hey We're telling other people how to have a circumcised heart. But we want to renew that commitment. We're going to really commit ourselves to living a circumcised heart before our children, before our grandkids. Maybe some of you have been listening to how Moses was so engaged with his work that he wasn't engaged with his wife and family. The Lord's speaking to your heart today. I want to recommit myself to really making those personal connections. And I'm not going to be so stressed out that I can't personally connect because we don't want to raise up any idolaters, kids that will live just for lifeless idols. We want kids that know that there's power in the blood of Jesus. I want to renew that commitment that I'm going to be concerned about my family to have a circumcised heart and to not be so busy that I don't connect relationally with our kids. How about you?